0: automation helps people to get rid of the things that maybe they're the boring parts of work, maybe they're the monotonous parts and, you know, not the productive parts of work. So everyone has a skill set that they're, you know, the things that they're really good at, and things that are not so good at, and you'd much prefer to be working on the things that you've got, your innate skills, you know, the things you enjoy doing, the things you can add value, and a lot of the admin work just takes you away from doing the things that you, you know you can really help your customers or things you want to do in life and that's where automation really helps to uh, take away all that busy work and let, let, let's let computers do that for us.
1: Once upon a time, there were millions of businesses struggling. Every day they wasted time, effort and money on repetitive tasks that added no value. One day, the Better Automation podcast by Procesio came to help them find a way. Because of this, these businesses save time, reduce costs, innovate and make better decisions. Because of that, these businesses grow scale and use human creativity to change this world. Hello, my name is Aziz and I'm your host at Better Automation podcast by Processio where I interview the world's top experts and share their very best ideas on how to improve automation in your business processes and life. My guest today is Dr. Adam Sykes. Dr. Adam is the CEO and founder of Swift Case, the no-code automation platform that empowers everyone to build web applications. Dr. Adam, how are you today? Hi, Aziz.
0: I'm good. Thanks. Really glad to be here.
1: Me too. I'm honored. I'm lucky and I'm ready to learn more from you. And let's begin with your own situation. You know, some people told me that you are so efficient at automating parts of your business and life, that you can work just a couple of hours here and there and still seem to be extraordinarily productive.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. And I think when you get that time back, you can do even more work. (laughs) It's normally my approach. But yeah, I mean, automation helps people to Get rid of the things that maybe they're the boring parts of work maybe they're the monotonous parts and you know not the productive parts of work so everyone has a skill set that they're you know the things that they're really good at and things that are not so good at and you'd much prefer to be working on the things that you've got your innate skills you know the things you enjoy doing the things you can add value And a lot of the admin work just takes you away from doing the things that you you know you can really help your customers or things you want to do in life, and that's where automation really helps to uh, take away all that busy work and let, let let's let computers do that for us.
1: Thank you, and we'll get deeper psychologically into some objections that people have, and I'll begin with the first one. Some people don't know what they want. <clears throat> Most human beings know what they don't want. If you tell them what you don't want, they give you a big list if you tell them, okay, and then what do you want? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I'm afraid of making the wrong choice here, whatever it is. So how in your situation, did you gain clarity on what you wanted and a level of certainty that allowed you to focus on it?
0: Okay, that's a good question. So I suppose really, it's like anything, the more you the more you sort of get involved in a subject the more you learn that helps you to to find things that go together so i suppose one of my skill sets is one of the things i enjoy is finding patterns finding connections between different things and I suppose as well as automation, something that goes hand in hand with that is integration. So there's lots of tools out there doing lots of different things that we find useful. But when we put those two things together, or three things together, you know that really amplifies the, the sort of the output that you can get from from that kind of uh, setup. And I think that's that's where I really that's what I enjoy doing. I enjoy making sure that things are talking, you know, correctly to each other. And that could be teams. It could be How to make your team perform better if you've got a a business with with staff or you've got clients who you're communicating with or it also can be you know at the technological level of apps and and so on so it's all about how to make things talk together better make things run more smoothly i think that that's the key to a lot
1: of this kind of area thank you That's really, really good. And therefore, I would like to ask you, some experts say, look, you have been doing things in a certain way for a reason, and therefore use what you have already been doing, make it an SOP and automate it based on what you naturally have been doing. Don't reinvent the wheel while others say, Look, if you take a blank piece of paper, or whatever it is, a board on your uh, software, and just begin from scratch, knowing that you have the power of automation and integration tools you can design really optimized processes that don't necessarily aren't, you know, exactly what you have been doing, but they will be much better. And therefore, it's better to begin from scratch to look at it as a blank piece of paper to automate everything as if you haven't done it before. Which approach are you more a fan of? Why? What's the problem with the other and tell me more? I don't like to
0: discount any approach. So I think it's a bit of both is, is, is my answer. You need to understand what people are doing and why they've been doing it that way, because sometimes if you start from scratch, you can miss key parts of the pattern, key parts of the puzzle are, are, you know, are lost. There might be a reason why someone's doing it. It might be a compliance issue that your industry has specific uh, requirements, maybe government requirements or uh, customer requirements that you have to have certain parts of the process uh, done in a certain way so for example in the past certain legal requirements required someone to physically sign a piece of paper because the courts wouldn't accept a document with an e-signature that's that's changed in many places but that would be something that if you started from a blank piece of paper and and threw out everything that you needed to sort of take account of things like that could be could be set aside but i think it's also very dangerous to say we've always done it this way that's how that's how you you don't make progress If that's your attitude, we've always done it this way, so let's just automate what we've already got. You also miss out on opportunities. So there's a balance to be struck between making sure that you capture everything that's important from the current process, but also at the same time, ensuring that you can see
1: opportunities from doing things in a different way. Thank you. And one of the things that people notice about you is your level of automation of your social media some people say, look, social media is not a broadcasting media, it's an 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 interaction, a way where you speak to people, you comment on their work, etc. So how do you survive within the chaos of social media using automation without, you know, stalling your growth?
0: Okay, so I think with social media, I think there are aspects of it where you you do need to have a uh, persona on there that's um regularly putting out content now you you can't be on social media 24/7 that would be not very efficient for a start but also you know there's other things you you've got to you've got to get done and i think a lot of the kind of scheduling and the automation of social media is really about having a consistent approach so especially if you're a you want to appeal to a global audience you know when you, when you're asleep Half your audience is 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 awake and working or on social media, so so uh, automation in social media is very very useful for making sure you've got around the clock presence where people can see uh, the content that you're putting out, and maybe that's just retweeting things you've done earlier manually. Maybe it's just um, picking up a few uh, few things that maybe didn't get picked up the first time, but reusing content. So you might write it one way to begin with, like a thread. And then that ends up being a few single tweets or the other way around Um, so there's there's opportunities to use automation to enhance what you're already doing but i think it can't fully replace um, the kind of interaction uh, that's required because social media starts with social it's an interactive medium Um, you do need to you know reply you know you do need to comment on other people's uh, content and like things and that's not always possible with a completely automated approach so there again there's a balance to be struck
1: thank you and in automation there is this process or this concept not only on automation but in computer science and logic and everything that garbage in garbage out well when automating how do you know which processes are creating actual value and are not there just as a ceremony or an extra work that uh, was a legacy from the past? What is your approach? Let's say someone does not have any automation in their business or in their social media presence or in whatever they do? How do you recommend they approach that project? Where should they begin? How what should they keep in mind? What would you do? if you were new and going to use what you know, to build an automation project from beginning to end? Sure. Okay, so I think the first stage of any of these kinds of projects is to make sure
0: make sure that you understand where you are now. So make sure you actually have a full understanding of the processes that you use, whether that's in your business or in in your social media, or the, the type of things you're trying to achieve and understand whether you have got something that's repeatable, whether there's a step-by-step process, whether you understand where the the kind of the inputs and the outputs are in that process. So where do you get your information from? Is that something where you could potentially put something in there to automate getting that information into a, a different state? And the same with the outputs, is it something you find that you're repeatedly sending the same email to people or repeatedly putting the same sort of reply to a tweet um, where you've picked up a specific um, like hashtag or comment or or um, piece of content, so it, it's finding those areas uh, where there's opportunity. So that, that's like the kind of the first stage is making sure you understand what you're currently doing, and then from there looking at areas for opportunity where there's repetitive processes, there's things where uh, you use temp, you know very similar responses that could potentially become a templated response and I think once you kind of got to that point then you can then start playing with trying things out seeing what works I mean a big part of automation is really is experimenting and, and trying things and and seeing what looks right and doing that on a small test you know test a few tweets see how it works or whatever your social media is a few posts or if it's a business process maybe just automate one area one process And then once you've kind of got that right, you can kind of roll that out to the rest of your rest of your uh, account or rest of your social media channels or rest of your business processes. So that's so it's a step by step experimentation.
1: and, And when you've got the got it right, roll it out. Thank you. And I love that you're speaking about data what happens is some scientists even or experts will say, Look, when you're a small company, whatever data you have is not enough to create patterns, you need millions of uh, data bits and all that. So how, as an entrepreneur, founder or a business that doesn't have that kind of backlog of data that has been captured for a while, what would be the approach to use data in a way that is useful, yet realize the limitations when you don't have access to tons and tons of big data.
0: I suppose if you want to use only your own data source, and you can't access uh, sort of industry data. So if you can get similar data sources that you can supplement your own with, so a lot of applications do this uh, will, will help you. Uh, for example, things like MailChimp and, and other applications, they have their own data sources across all their users that you can access in order to, to facilitate um, making automations and integrations uh, more useful because you're basically leveraging all of their customers' anonymized data, but you still get to leverage that. So you can look out for opportunities where other people have already done the work for you and pushed it all together. But I think if you do want to do something with just your own data set, I think really I suppose it's applying common sense. So you have to kind of guide data set and actually think whether what it's you know what the data is telling you makes sense if you don't feel that it makes sense uh of what you think should be the, the outcome then maybe consider that that's not reliable uh you know if it's saying that all your customers buy on a friday when you know that all your customers definitely buy on a monday but the data set is too small and you've only covered Friday to Saturday um, for example that you know maybe have a look at how you've actually you know done your report and, and see whether it actually is is something that is worth making a decision on sometimes you just have to wait until you've got the data and you know put your best guess in so put your best guess in see if that works and then iterate from there I think that's if, if anything, with with any of these te- techniques and technologies, it's about iteration. Try something. If it works, you know, keep going. If you can improve it, try something else. Experiment. You know, A/B test things. It's it's all about that. And if you haven't got the data now, you know, try, gather more data, and then and then reapply. So constant reevaluation.
1: Thank you. And actually, that means facing failure, facing rejection, facing all the negative things that so many people are afraid of. So what belief or approach do you have that makes you be open and curious about what could happen, whether something won't work, while other people will beat themselves up and take it personally, if any plan they make is not the perfect one, and therefore, that stops iteration in its tracks.
0: I'm a great believer in you can control what you can control and you can't control what you can't control. And if you can't control something, there's no point in worrying about it. If you try something, there's lots of other variables in an experiment. You can only, you can only control what you put into the system. You can't control how the public are going to react to what you've done. You can't control how your customers are going to react. And if you try something, it doesn't work out. At least now you've learned something, you know that that doesn't work and you need to try something else. So a lot of these trials, these A-B tests they're they're effectively cost very little and to try something else, you know, there's no cost to you to try a web page and what's it going to take to put a different piece of content on instead, you know, know, the half an hour, the hour, the two hours, that's all you've lost to write another version. So I suppose keeping things in perspective as to the amount of time you put into something versus The potential of what could happen if you try more things and I suppose the flip side of that is if you spend so long planning the amount of effort that you put in will be much more and you're still facing just as much risk at the end when you actually put it out to an audience as you would have done if you've just tried more things so I think the faster you can get things to market the faster you can get things out there um, and get feedback from real people who you've got no control over their response Uh, the better. And the more often you can do that, the better. So don't worry about what you can't control and just focus on what you can do and go for it.
1: I like that. That's very, very empowering. And can you speak now about Swift How did the idea come to be? What made you decide to enter into a space where you'll face competition of people or companies that already exist? What's the point of uniqueness? And how is that founder journey?
0: I started on a completely different path to software development. So I've always been interested in uh, computers and programming and i wrote my first program when i was seven so i'm one of those self-taught um i suppose software geeks for want of a better term um but i i went off into a, a life and education in in science so i i actually did a chemistry degree went on to do a chemistry phd and i and my first sort of um interaction with business was i needed money to fund me in my courses. So I started a business while I was doing my PhD and I was doing all sorts of different stuff to do with computers. I, always, I it was always in the background the, the sort of technology aspect. And I eventually got into developing software and in 2013, I went into business with one of my customers. So one of my customers, I built a system for them and they were like, I can see the potential here. We should, we should actually build a, a proper company around this. Uh, So I partnered with uh, with Nick, Uh, we started uh, the business that ultimately built Swiftcase. And at that time I was doing bespoke software development. So every project that was coming in is a set of requirements. It was building to the customer's requirements and projects would be very lengthy. They'd be unstable because you have to go and get a project in. Once Once you'd finish it, you've been paid. You've got no more income from that project unless they come back. And at the same time, it's from a development point of view, you find you're doing the same things over and over again and coming sort of full circle to where we are today. I don't like the idea that you're redoing things that take a long time. And when you could just have a platform that allowed you to do that in a much shorter time space. And also, in fact, could actually empower your customers to be able to do that. So rather than them giving me the requirements, me writing code, my team building this big project, Um, We could actually put those tools in the hands of the customer and they could convert their own requirements, make changes, do those experiments, integrate with APIs, integrate with um, various pieces of applications that they already use in their business. And that's kind of how SwiftCase evolved. So I suppose SwiftCase was really a product that solved my problem in wanting to build software, wanting to build apps much more quickly and ultimately led to customers being able to build those apps themselves and that's kind of the journey we're on
1: today. Thank you. That's absolutely fantastic and then to ask you about no code, do you believe it's here to stay? It will be part of the technological literacy of many generations to come or at least for many decades uh, to come because we cannot, you know, predict the future that long in advance that or is it more of a fad where some people are excited? And then at some point, they will move on to the next thing. And only the die-hard no coders will stay?
0: No, I think I think this is really the beginning of a, a revolution in how we look at how software is built. Because for a long time, there has been software has been, I suppose, an, an industry with gatekeepers. So you, in order to build something to build new technology, you needed developers, developers needed to do however many years of, of training. They needed to be able to learn all sorts of new languages, and those languages change all the time, the technologies change all the time, and the disconnect between the end user and the software um, is just so far apart, and you get all sorts of issues with this because customers say one thing, but that gets translated all the way down to the end uh, product, and as as good as the techniques can be in order to make sure that those requirements are fulfilled, it's not going to beat. The actual end user being able to build something that they've got hands-on um, experience of, that they they can really make it exactly how they want it and change it. You know, daily, hourly. You know, something doesn't work. They can and going back to they can do these experiments. You know, a, a soft a piece of software doesn't come become a fixed item that was built three years ago. It becomes a, a you know a living sort of uh creation that can be changed as the as your business changes it can fit new business models it can work in uh to to do all sorts of things it wasn't designed to do in the first place so i think from a no-code perspective from giving power to um you know the end user i think that's massive and i think that's going to be a big driving force especially for for businesses who who don't need to have an it department it's a bottleneck Um, you know there's so many so many projects they want to get off the ground HR want to do something, marketing want to do something ops want to do something and it all has to go through one team to giving those tools you know democratizing development giving everyone their power to build something I think that is going that's not going anywhere that's going to stay and simplifying the way that software can be built is going to be huge but I think as well as that you've also got lots of people who are entrepreneurs you know they're solopreneurs they want to build a product they want to get something out there they might be looking for investment they might want to just build an mvp they might want to put that in front of you know some vcs and get investment and the fact that they now don't have to code they can go from their idea to a product in a number of weeks rather than needing maybe a team maybe you know definitely needing to learn how to code to even get an idea on onto onto the screen that, that that's massive and i mean how many ideas have been lost because the person had the idea had the inability to execute it whereas now we're building tools that say that anyone can execute anyone who's got an idea can build something new can put it out in the marketplace can try it and can do it in a reasonable time scale at, at a much more reasonable cost i mean i don't see how that's going away that's such a that's a major major advantage and You know, as technology becomes even more pervasive in our lives, there's just not enough people who want to do code. You know, there's going to be more people who take it up because there's a need, but there's not enough people to do the amount of coding that we need to do. But there's enough people who've got ideas. There's enough people who know what they want the code to do. And if they're helped with by the tools and also, you know, in future AI helps people to get to what they want, I think you know it's here to stay, it's gonna make a massive impact, and it's all for the best.
1: Thank you so much. And again, about uh Swift Case. If people want to begin to use it, to learn more about it, what are the best links for them to do so? And I will make sure to put some in the episode description.
0: Okay, so the best thing to do is visit our website swiftcase.co.uk. So we're a uk-based company swiftcase.com goes to the same place but if you if you don't uh, we've got guides on there you can get a free trial of the system so you can try it out uh, but we were also i'm on twitter at swiftcase ceo uh, please feel
1: free to get in touch drop me a message and i'll be happy to tell you more thank you so much as well as swiftcase for people who are on this automation journey i highly recommend processio as well which makes this podcast possible processio is the modern low code no code platform for advanced automation and creating an enterprise grade backend for your software you can request access to a totally free account that is fully functional on processio.app. And for those with higher business needs and want to use the business account, there is a very generous and exclusive 50% discount code. It's better 50 off one word in capital letters, more information in the episode description. Thank you, Dr. Adam. This was my privilege, my honor, and a really enriching conversation about automation and reclaiming that lost time that you can use to either add more value to the world or be with your family, with the people you love, with yourself, doing your hobbies, which makes life really worth it. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. It's been great to be here.